0: Uh, well, good morning, Christ community. Uh, good to be with you all this morning. My name is Reed Kappel. I serve as the campus pastor here. And uh, yeah, it's a joy to be with you as we turn to God's word this morning. But uh, I want to pray for our time before we uh, jump in together. So let's, let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of your son and by the power of your spirit to ask for you, Lord, to open our eyes to see truth, to know you, to hear from you. Lord, may, may the, 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 the words of my mouth, and may the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. It is in the name of Christ Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, again, uh, it's good to, to be with you. I uh, hope you all had a good uh, Thanksgiving and that the trip to fan has worn off. Uh, so, no. Uh, no turkey intake is a valid excuse for sleeping in church, okay, just so you know. But, um, but it's really good to be with you. Uh, it's a joy to, to open God's Word. Uh, and so Thanksgiving, yes, is behind us. And now we turn our attention towards Christmas, uh, which means a lot of things. Uh, but one, it means that you, you don't look as weird when you just quote lines from Home Alone in normal conversation, uh, because that's very much what I do. Uh, Home Alone is very, very much, I mean, hands down, my favorite Christmas movie of all time. And, and I don't mean to brag. <laughs> But I did win, win a VHS copy of it in fifth grade uh, through a drawing at a grocery store. Uh, no big deal. I'm kind of kind of kind of a big deal. But um, but but it really is it's one of my favorite movies. And and if you've never seen it, you know the premise is you know young Kevin McAllister uh, is is at home and his family leaves for Christmas vacation in Paris, and, and they forget him. They leave him at home. Obviously, home alone. And Kevin thinks that he has caused this. That his wish was for them to be gone, and he finally got what he wished for. But as the movie continues on, uh, the very thing that Kevin wanted to be rid of, namely his family, was the very thing that he longed for more than anything towards the end of the film. It was a very touching film, it really was. Uh, Forget the whole sadistic, like, booby-trapped home and all that stuff. But but it really is, it speaks to, I think, something that is present in all of, of our human hearts, I think Kevin's experience kind of points to the, the dissonance of our existential reality. Okay, so yes, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about existential reality and home alone here in the sermon. But but the dissonance I think that Kevin finds that we all find is the dissonance between the things that we long for, the things that we want, and when we get them, when that that longing is fulfilled, it doesn't quite satisfy to the degree that which we hoped. And and there's another way of saying, I think this dissonance, this longing for something we get it and it doesn't fully satisfy, I think it's really the tension of, of all of us, regardless of our religious background or faith spectrum, where we are in that, we all find ourselves at home in this world, we find ourselves building a home, making a home in this world, but never feeling quite at home in this world. We all find ourselves making some kind of home here, but never quite feeling at home, It's as if there is something more to life than what we have found ourselves living for. And and in the Bible in particular, one of the ways in which the biblical authors describe the human experience is is with this language of longing for home, being away from home and seeking to return to it. And so as we prepare for the Advent season, which we, we begin officially next Sunday, We want to spend some time exploring and unpacking this this idea of longing for home, and we're going to do it in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah was a prophet who spoke of this theme of longing for home, who gives us both words of judgment and hope, and particularly a hope that one day we will be able to come home at last. And so this morning, we're going to be going through Isaiah during our whole season in Advent, but this morning we're going to be camped out in Isaiah chapter 1. And what I'd like to do is read our our text together. So if you would, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word from Isaiah chapter 1. And if you don't know where Isaiah is, just open your Bible right in the middle. You've got Psalms, and then just go to the right. You've got Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, then Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1, I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 4. Hear the word of the Lord. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. O sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly, they have forsaken the Lord, they have despised the Holy One of Israel, they are utterly estranged. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So, we're going to be in chapter 1 of Isaiah, but I want to give a little bit of context so we know kind of where we are um, in the storyline in the history of God's people. Uh, So Isaiah was a prophet who did most of his work in the southern kingdom of Judah. So the people of Israel, they, they were split into two kingdoms. You have Israel in the north, Judah in the south. And Isaiah did most of his prophetic work in Judah around 740 BC. This was towards the end of kind of the prosperous years of the people of Judah. They experienced great prosperity, great comfort and wealth. But during these prosperous years, they they started to recognize that that their comfort level was, was in jeopardy because of the growing threat of the Assyrian nation to the east. And so during this kind of tenuous time, as Assyria is growing in greater power, Judah is starting to recognize that their comfort years are coming to an end. And during this time of comfort, but also in recognizing the threat of Assyria, Judah had found themselves basically rebelling against God in various ways. And Isaiah is speaking to this rebellion particularly. And what we see throughout the book of Isaiah is that Isaiah is the prophet who did, he very much spoke words of the coming judgment, a coming judgment that was far greater than what their minds could predict. But he also simultaneously told of a coming hope That was greater than their hearts could long for. A hope that one day that the people of God could find themselves returning to home, returning specifically to the home that they lost, but actually I think what Isaiah would say, returning to the home that they left. And this is the idea that I want us to be looking at in Isaiah chapter 1 as we continue on. I think this is exactly what Isaiah is getting at as he is unpacking his message of judgment and message of hope as you're speaking to the people of Judah throughout this magnificent book. But specifically, as we turn to the opening chapter of Isaiah, what I want us to see is that when we, we think about this theme of home that the Bible richly paints for us, home is a place that we long for, but I believe Isaiah wants us first to see that home is a place that we run from. Before we can understand it as a place we long for, Isaiah wants us to see that home is a place that we run from. Now in chapter 1, Isaiah, he's employing this very rich familial language in describing his relationship to Judah. You you see the language of children, the children have I reared in verse 2, the word offspring is used in verse 4, Judah is described as the daughter of Zion in verse 9. But it's not a picture of like a perfect family. The the children that God is referring to are rebellious children, a wayward children. Those that have not only been distant from God, their father, but who have actually run away and are absent from his presence, so to speak. And Isaiah gets right to it. He he doesn't kind of open up with any like, hey, I hope your parents are doing well. Isn't this a nice spring we seem to be having? He just gets right to this message of their waywardness and rebellion and showing them how they have walked away, turned away, and gone away from God, who they find to be their true home. And so what we see in verse 4, Isaiah describes their sin and rebellion in many ways, but I want to focus in on one in verse 4. Isaiah says in verse 4, the second half of verse 4, he says, they have forsaken the Lord, referring to Judah. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Now that last phrase, utterly estranged, it's a very unique phrase, and it literally means to make oneself a stranger. It's, it's to turn away in such a way that, that the person you had a relationship with, the one you're turning away from, is now treating you as if you were a stranger unknown to them. I actually love how the, the King James Version actually translates this verse. Uh, it's kind of old English if you haven't read the King James Version in a while, but, but in describing or translating this phrase, utterly estranged, the King James Version says, you have gone away backward. You have gone away backward. It's not just that you have gone in a different direction, but you're actually going backwards in a way that you are unmaking yourself. So we see the people of God have rebelled against Him, not just in in failing to do the things that they should and, and by succeeding in doing the things that they shouldn't, but they are rebelling against God precisely by the act of running from Him, being distant from God, wanting nothing to do with Him, to be treated as if He was a stranger, And this is precisely what what sin is. It is a turning away from God. It is a going away backward. It is a running from home, from our right relationship with God. But in our, in our modern kind of progressive culture, you know, the word sin is very, very old and outdated. We don't like talking about sin. It's this kind of antiquated medieval concept that should be kind of thrown out along with astrology and medicinal leeches, you know, and fanny packs, like stuff that's just no longer relevant in our day to day. But I think that we, by throwing sin out of our vocabulary, we've actually kind of removed something that helps us understand the brokenness, the plight that we all feel and face, All of us face the fact that we are not and the world is not the way it ought to be. But we dismiss sin as just this religious term. But far from being a a violation of some kind of ethereal religious standard, sin is actually much more personal than that. I think we tend to dismiss sin as just this religious concept, but really what sin is, it is the undermining act of unmaking and unraveling ourselves. Yes it is, it's rebellion against God for sure, I don't want to diminish that, but sin is at the core of, 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 when we understand our relationship to God, sin is the undermining act of unraveling and unmaking ourselves. It is for sure rebellion against God and an attack against Him, but it is also an attack upon ourselves. Which is why Isaiah in describing the impact of sin in verse five, we read these words. Isaiah says, why will you be struck down. Why will you continue to rebel? Isaiah is equating sin to the act of, of inflicting ourselves with a wound brought upon by ourselves. Which is very consistent with, with the word evildoer back in verse 4. Uh, Isaiah uses this word to describe Isaiah, and that word evildoer, the, the root of that word, it, it's describing someone who is both who both brings harm upon others and upon themselves. An evildoer is not just someone who is bringing about harm and destruction to others, but they bring harm upon themselves. And this is precisely what Isaiah is trying to get through into the minds of the people of Judah, that their sin, yes, has led them away from God, but it is also unmade and unraveled themselves. Our sin, our our choices to live apart from God, to choose to determine right and wrong, good and evil for ourselves yes, is an attack on God. It is a rebellion against Him, but it is also an attack upon ourselves. Which is why Isaiah goes on to describe the impacts of sin in in these very physical bodily ways as you read through. Look look at verse 6. Isaiah describes kind of what, what happens when we run from home, when we flee from God, when we rebel against Him, when we go and turn away backwards. Isaiah says, from the sole of the foot... Even to the head, there is no soundness in it. There's no health. There's no wholeness or com- completion. But there are bruises and sores and raw wounds. They're not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. And so what we see, I don't, I don't want to diminish this here. God is righteously angry with our sin. But what we have to see that Isaiah is trying to show us as well is that he is also tenderly brokenhearted, over the self-inflicted wounds that we bring upon ourselves through our rebellion, through our running away from him. Isaiah 1 is a wake-up call, yes, to the people of of Judah, but also to to God's people throughout history that we need to see our sin for what it is. Yes, it is an attack on God, but it is also an act, an undermining act that unmakes and unravels us. Isaiah 1 is a wake-up call so that we might see the error and the terror of our ways as we run from home and as we run from God. And and so a question for us to consider as we think about sin in this way, that home, yes, is a place we long for, but it's also a place we run from. Is it possible that the turmoil you and I face, the heartache and pain that we experience in this life, is it possible that it's been brought about by a self-inflicted wound? by an act of us running away from God and choosing to make a home for ourselves apart from Him. Do we see sin in this way? Not just as this kind of 30,000-foot kind of esoteric understanding that's rooted in religion, but do we see sin as something that unmakes us because it removes us from the one who made us? But Isaiah goes on to show us That while home is a place we run from, home is also a place that we try to remake. So it's not just that we run from God, but in our attempts to live free apart from Him, we seek to remake home in a fabricated, false way. Now, I want to get to this in a second because I think this is where Isaiah is going, but I want to pause for a second because I'm sure there are some of us here who probably have a hard time resonating with this language of God and sin, and, and I totally get that. I totally get that. And that's okay. We want Christ's community to be a safe place where doubts and questions and objections can be shared in a way where we can wrestle together. But even though some of us may kind of dismiss or discredit the supernatural or the religious, I believe that simultaneously we find within us this kind of haunting feeling that we are not at home in the world we inhabit. That's the dissonance I mentioned earlier, that we find ourselves in this world making a home, but never quite feeling at home. And so while we may not recognize that it is God's home that we are longing for and that we have run from, I believe this is precisely what we experience in this kind of existential dissonance of of longing for something and getting it, and it not quite satisfying. It's what C.S. Lewis described in his phenomenal sermon, The Weight of Glory, in describing this idea, this phenomenon of longing and nostalgia. Lewis describes this feeling of longing as this. He says, longing is a desire for something that has never actually appeared in our experience. We cannot hide it because our experience is constantly suggesting it. Our commonest expedient, or our best way of explaining it, is to call it beauty, and behave as if that had settled the matter. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire, but they are not the thing itself. And this is great, he says, they are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have not yet visited. Lewis is describing this, this dissonance of our existential reality that the world in which we inhabit, while we find ourselves making a home here, we never quite feel at home in this world. The reason home is a place we try to remake, and so so rather than trying to reconsider the premise that, that God is our fundamental home, we seek to remake our home in other ways, through other pathways, through other gods, so to speak, and they never quite match up. The reason home is a place we try to remake Is because home is a place that we have forgotten, and yet we vaguely remember. There's something about this longing feeling that haunts us. Even Charles Darwin, Charles Darwin, I mean, the the father of of evolutionary science, was haunted by the same feeling that there must be more than the material world. In his own autobiography, Darwin says this. It, it, it It was a record in his journal. He says, whilst standing, yes, he did say whilst, whilst standing in midst of the grandeur of a Brazilian forest it is not possible to give an adequate idea of the higher feelings of wonder, admiration, and devotion which fill and elevate the mind. I will remember my conviction, this is the kicker, that there is more in man than the mere breath of his body. So Darwin recognized that, even though all of his scientific findings are rooted in the fact that the world is a closed system, nothing outside the material world, nothing supernatural or transcendent, he is still haunted by a feeling that he is not home in the world. And so that may describe some of us, but, but, it, but instead of, of tracing the breadcrumbs of our heart back to this place that, that perhaps maybe, maybe our longing is pointing to something greater than this world, we choose instead to fabricate a new home. We try to make a, a world and a home apart from God, and what it ends up doing, it, it ends up feeling less like a home and more like a, a model home. You know, when a new neighborhood opens up, there's a model home that you can go and check out and see what these homes are going to look like. And on the outside, it looks great, but inside, it's filled with fake furniture, with wax fruit, and family photos that came with the frame. It's not a real, legitimate home. It's a poor excuse for a home. And I think we all find ourselves constructing and remaking and fabricating these homes, hoping that they will satisfy the longings of our hearts but they end up falling short. And I think we construct these these false homes, these model homes, uh, apart from God in two primary ways. And it's actually the two things that, that Isaiah is calling Judah out for. We either reconstruct or remake these false homes either by denying God in the depths of our heart, by saying, I want nothing to do with you, I want to turn away backward from you and make my own life. So we either create these false homes by denying God in the depths of our hearts, or by praising God in the shallows of our lips. And it's the second one that Judah is mostly guilty of. You see, some of us, we try try to make a home for ourselves by rebelling against God in the depths of our hearts, but for the religious people, we find ourselves remaking a home in the praising of God in the shallows of our lips. And so God, he's telling Judah through Isaiah that he's fed up, with all of their hollow and counterfeit religiosity and worship. And he has some strong words for Judah, not just because they have exploited the poor and and, and abused their power, but notice what God says to Judah in verse 11. "'What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices?' says the Lord. "'I have had enough of burnt offerings, of rams, and of the fat of well-fed beasts. "'I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats.'" You see, it's it's not just that Judah sinned through their exploitation of the poor, although they did that, and through their abuse of power, although they did that as well. But what we see God being angry at, what he even says my soul hates, is their vain and hollow worship, their hypocritical lip service that does not reflect the true nature of their hearts. And, and all the things that God is saying that he's despising and tired of, it's all biblical stuff. It's all his idea. The sacrifices, the burnt offerings, the Sabbath feasts, the prayers, God's saying, I'm tired of this. Why? Because you have, you have exploited the poor. You have been guilty of injustice, but you have tried to put forth also this facade that you're better than what you are. Even though there's all this religious smoke, so to speak, that they've created through all of their religious activity… There wasn't much fire in terms of their true, genuine passion and love and worship of God. And as a result, God God despised all of their religious actions. He despised the pretense of their praise and the hollowness of their hymns. He couldn't stand the duplicity of their devotion. And he gets even stronger in verse 14. He says, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. I mean, that's strong language. And God, he's not saying that all these things are pointless. These were his idea. But what he's saying is there's something about the heart of worship that God is after. John Foreman, he's the the lead singer, front man of the band Switchfoot, uh, wrote a song several years ago uh, called Instead of a Show. And it was inspired by this very text in Isaiah 1. And and Foreman says this in his song. He says, I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your praise, the hypocrisy of your festivals. I hate all your show. Your eyes are closed when you're praying. You sing right along with the band. You shine up your shoes for services, but there's blood on your hands. For those of us who are worshipers of God and who would identify as followers of Jesus, These words of warning that Isaiah has for Judah are words that we must hear. So I'm, I'm talking to you religious folks here, okay? So like if you're not religious, like you can, well, we're all religious in various ways, but you know, if we identify as followers of Jesus, we need to hear these words because it is so easy and too often the case, I might add, that Christians put forth a veneer of religion as we gather on Sunday and then hypocritically live a totally different life on Monday. I know that's true of my life, and my guess is that's true of many of our lives, if we're honest, because God calls us to worship him in all of life. He is not interested in a few hours on Sunday and a few hours on Wednesday and maybe 15 minutes in the morning here and there. God has called us to worship him in all of life, and that's very, the very point why he's so upset with Judah, because they failed to see God's sovereignty, his reign, his relevance and jurisdiction over every aspect of life. And so the question for us is, are we guilty of not just running from God, but are we guilty of constructing a model home of hypocrisy, of fake and hollow worship? Because fake and hypocritical worship, it's way easier than faith and repentance and obedience. It's way easier, and it makes us look so much better and because of that, because it's easier, sometimes the best place to hide from God is in the plain open sight in church. Sometimes the best place to hide from God is couched within religion. Is being devoted to being here every Sunday. And I'm not, I'm really, We should be here every Sunday for sure. But when we use this as a thing to make ourselves look like we we have this veneer of religion, we may find ourselves hearing these words that, that God said to Judah. I'm tired of your festivals, I'm tired of your sacrifices, God is after our hearts. Are you and I hiding from God in plain sight? Are we finding ourselves so wrapped up with religious activity on Sunday, but then returning to our model homes of injustice, of corruption, of apathy and complacency on Monday? Lord, help us to open our eyes to see our hypocrisy. Now, while I do think that God wants us, all of us, to be aware of the ways in which we have gone away backward and turned from Him, and I believe He wants us to have serious consideration for the ways in which we have rebelled against Him, either through our our self-righteous religion, but also through our self-destructive rebellion, I also believe God wants us to know That home is a place we can return to. Home is a place we can return to. And this is the beautiful, again, remember Isaiah is the prophet of judgment and hope. And we see this beautifully put on display in Isaiah 1. You see, Isaiah 1, it really, in many ways, is a microcosm of the entire book of Isaiah and really of the entire Bible. There's a message that the bad news is far worse than we can realize, but the good news is far greater than we could ever dream. And so God's message of hope through Isaiah is that, yes, while home is a place we run from, home is a place we remake, home is also a place we can return to. But how do we return home? Well, God declares these words to Judah through Isaiah in verse 16, wash yourselves Make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's case. The way we return home is first by admitting that there is a home in the first place. Admitting that there is a home and that we have run from it, that we have drifted away either through our rebellion in the depths of our hearts by saying, there is no God, I want to be my own person, or through the praise and the shallowness of our lips. And so the way we return home is by admitting that there is a home and admitting that we ran from it. To put it simply, we we return home through repentance. And and I know repentance is a churchy word. We talked a little bit about it as well in in our Proverbs series. But repentance, really what repentance is, to, to understand it, uh, it's Well, really, remember what Isaiah said, how he describes sin in verse 4, that it is a being utterly estranged, turning away from God, going away backwards. They turned away from God. And so, so when we understand sin as a turning away from God, what is repentance? Repentance, if I had to put it very simply in an acute way, repentance is turning away from turning away. It is recognizing that we have a proclivity, a tendency to turn from God, to pursue our home in something else other than Him, And so repentance, then, is turning away from our turning away. It's coming back to the home that we left, that we lost. And so this is how we find our way back. We must turn away from turning away. We must repent of our sins, both of self-destructive rebellion, as well as our self-righteous religion. Because did you notice in verse 16, look at verse 16, how Isaiah doesn't say, remove your evil deeds. He says, remove the evil of your deeds which means that if, we, if we're going to repent, we must, yes, repent of our rebellion, yes, repent of the things that we ought not to do, but God is very clear to Judah that they must also repent of their good religious actions that are done in vain, that are drenched in hypocrisy. What this means is that we must repent of using church attendance as a way of impressing God that we should repent of of prayers that we pray in hopes of of convincing people that we're more spiritually mature than we actually are. We should repent of our our good works that we perform before others in hopes that, that perhaps they will see us in a better light and perhaps God will finally approve us and accept us. And we, and maybe more specifically I, must repent of preaching and leading as a pastor for the purpose of validating and elevating myself in the eyes of others, You see, it's not just repenting of the evil deeds that we are guilty of, but it's repenting of the evil of our good deeds. And here's the truth, every single person in this room walked through those doors this morning needing repentance. Every single one of us, this message of repentance is not just for the religious or the irreligious. It is for all people because we all have a tendency to try to remake our home apart from God through such lesser things. All of us need repentance. And not simply because we're lost sinners, although we are, but I believe, and I think it's what Isaiah is getting at, is that because we're lost children who need to go back home. Yes, we are lost sinners who need to be forgiven, but the message of Isaiah is that we are also lost children who need to go home. For when we repent... When we finally turn away from turning away, we will find our way back home. And as we return, we will find God sitting at the table, not with arms crossed, ready to chew us out, but with arms open, ready to invite us in. He's been waiting this whole time. And what we see when we return home, when we finally turn away from turning away and come back home, we will hear the words of our loving Father who says to us, Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. God is basically saying, come back home. Turn away from turning away. Let's, let's talk this through. For even though you are bruised and bloodied from all the things that you have done and by all the things that have been done to you, you can still come home. And friends, this this hope that was the hope for Judah is the hope for all of us as well. It is the hope for those who have run from God by by wandering away, wandering off in rebellion, but it's also for those who have wandered off by staying near through religion. It is a hope that no matter how, how lost or lonely we are, how bruised or bloody we might be, how torn or tattered we may find ourselves, it is the hope that home is a place, indeed home is a person, that we can always return to. For the hope that Isaiah declared was a hope that he and the people of Judah only saw in part. But we, we have the privilege, the blessing of seeing that hope in its fullness. In a, in, not, not in its fullness, but in a greater clarity. Because the hope that we can one day be, be declared righteous The hope that one day our sins can be declared white as snow and cleansed entirely is fulfilled through the work of Christ and his work on the cross, who through his blood atones for us and makes us right. The hope that Isaiah saw in part is the hope that we now see in greater clarity the hope of the one who left the comforts of his home so that he might come and bring us back home to God, back to the home we lost, back to the home we left. And back to the home that, by repentance and faith in Christ, we can return to. This is the home we long for, but it is also the home that we lost and left. And so if this is indeed our hope, if this message that Isaiah is proclaiming to us is true, then I believe it would be, it would be right and good for us to spend some time reflecting in prayer to, to consider the ways in which we have wandered off from God through our rebellion, or also in the ways in which we have wandered off by staying close in our religion. And so what, I, what I'd love for us to do is to spend a time uh, in prayer of confession. And I invite us to, to pray a prayer of confession together. And, and confession is it is a bittersweet practice and habit uh, that the people of God have done for years and years. It's bittersweet because, yes, we come face to face with the fact that our sin fractures us, but we also come face-to-face with our Savior who forgives us. That's the beauty of confession. And so I invite you together to pray this prayer of confession with me. Almighty and most merciful Father, we are thankful that your mercy is higher than the heavens, wider than our wanderings, deeper than all our sin. Forgive our careless attitudes towards your purposes our refusal to relieve the suffering of others, our envy of those who have more than we have, our obsession with creating a life of constant pleasure, our neglect of your wise and gracious law. Help us to change our way of life so that we may desire what is good, love what you love, and do what you command through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Brothers and sisters, in light of that truth, hear this blessed assurance of pardon from the words of the Apostle Paul in the book of Titus, chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Amen? Well, this hope, this hope that Isaiah has declared to the people of Judah that we are hearing afresh this morning is the hope that brings us To the Lord's table. It is the hope that reminds us of who we were and who we now can be through Christ. It is the reminder that, yes, while we do run from home and while we attempt to remake our home, home is a place that we can return to. And that's why we come to the Lord's table to be reminded of this truth that while we do run from God in so many ways, our loving Father is at the table waiting for us. To declare to us again that you are forgiven and that you are welcome home. At Christ Community, we, we practice and celebrate what we call open communion, which means you don't have to be a member uh, to participate, but this is a meal for those who have come to trust in this hope in Jesus Christ. And so if that's you, come to the table. If that does not describe you, you, then I would say stay in your seat, pray that Christ would be that hope for you, and then come to the table with your new brothers and sisters. Uh, We'll have four stations in the back and two in the front. Uh, Come together in groups of four to six. As you hear the server give the instructions, take the bread, dip into the cup, and remember of the hope that is ours in Christ Jesus. Come when you're ready.